Lieutenant Bob is the greatest character name of any game ever. Yeah, he really strikes in there with um, the people from Sunset Riders, right? Where, where there's, there's the, oh, I forget what the, Billy? And then <laughs> just, it just shows in there like Cormando. Right. <laughs> on there. It really, it's like the same people brought you by the same people who named the characters in Sunset Riders. We have, <laughs> we have Lieutenant Bob from Jackal. Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the ARF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that wants to get you out of our dreams and into our Jeep. This is Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and with me as always, I have... Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at Game Boy Guru. Uh, check out our Linktree page for links to all the feeds and all the stuff related to the podcast. That is linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. Also, check us out at rfgeneration.com and join the site there so that you can join us for a Shmup Club playthrough. Uh, also, please make sure and subscribe, rate, like, review, etc. on your preferred podcast platform. Uh, I do check those from time to time, and we have read reviews on the podcast before. So if you leave us a review, uh, you know, we, we would love to see that and would read that on the podcast. Also, join the RF Generation Discord channel, which is linked from the front page of rfgeneration.com, and uh, check out the dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic, where we talk about the Shmup Club Game of the Month, the podcast episodes, Shmups in general and uh, always have some good discussion there. Plus, you can follow me on Twitch to get notifications of new streams because I do stream the Shmup of the Month uh, multiple times each month. That is twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. Yeah, and one of the great things about RF Generation is, aside from the people there, is the database. You know, you can give everybody a link to your collection so that way you don't end up with your 50-second copy of Deep Space Waifus. But just make it really easy for the gift giving this holiday season. Yeah, I mean, personally, I find owning 17 copies of Kung Fu on NES to be game collector comfort food. But you, as a listener, might not feel the same. So if you'd like to avoid collecting doubles, triples, quadruples, etc., you know, the database is a great way to keep track of that so that uh, you can avoid that sort of situation. Yeah, unless you're building a chair or a throne out of Dragon Warrior carts, then it's acceptable. This is true. All right, moving on. Let us go to our question of the month. Think of a shmup adjacent game you really like and make a case for calling it a flown bone, sorry, a full-blown shooting game. Our first response comes to us from at blur stg. Star Fox 64, I think it can be considered shmup adjacent, and it's an on-rail shooter, 
It's probably my favorite video game of all time. My case for calling a full-blown game, because Stone Cold said so. At <laughs> uh, Stellar Fury uh, seconded that and said, I'd second Star Fox 64, and by extension, OG Star Fox. This is Nintendo innovating back in the day and making a 3D shmup. Yeah, Star Fox 64 it seems a really popular, or even Star Fox in general seems a really popular choice. I think it it would make a nice shmup, and we'd like to see that done, especially since the uh, Star Fo- they've done stuff with Star Fox Assault and Star Fox Guard. They're not afraid to experiment into different genres. Our next response comes to us from at Lightning Vis, or it could be Vis. One step from Eden, an action roguelike on an 8x4 grid. The gameplay loop of spamming enemies with dramatic attacks while dodging on a fixed XY grid is vaguely reminiscent of shooting games. One of the characters even has a loadout that turns the game into a bullet hell. Sounds pretty good. We may have to try that out. Yeah, I, I was not familiar with this, so I looked up a gameplay video earlier, and it's interesting. It, it sort of looks like... Think of Mega Man Battle Network uh, with real-time action, some, what appear to be some uh, time, uh, like, active time battle type uh, turn-based elements, but very fast action and kind of combining a card battle sort of thing with uh, action game elements. And yeah, it, it does look at least marginally shmuppy. So, kind of an interesting combination there. <clears throat> At Pony Tatsujin says, Star Luster kind of counts as a rail shooter, a more arcadey wing commander. But if I were to give a case for it, I'd say this. You're a ship, you shoot stuff, and enemies go boom and die. A lot. Yeah, Star Luster is definitely one that's on my list as well to try out. And speaking of the list here, we've got uh, one that's been on probably everyone's bucket list and certainly going to earn him some Mark MSX points from at Bad Dubs Games, Sin and Punishment, Star Successor. On the rail shooter made by a developer with a pedigree already, they could make or take some of the excellent environments and turn them into a vertical shooter that could give score based on chains, pickups, meetings, conditions, etc. It's a wonderful game and one that we hope to cover in a... I'm going to say roguelite in a uh, uh, shmuplite fashion. Hopefully this year or maybe next year. Yeah, I, I, I definitely want to take a closer look at Sin and Punishment Star Successor because it's a great game. Uh, I knew we would get this response, so let's just get get it out of the way here. At CollectorCast, our friend Duke Togo says, Dark Souls bow only run. It's all the pew-pew you can handle. <laughs> And we've hit our quota for the episode. Oh, I, oh my goodness. Dark Souls. I, I can only imagine he's just salivating, ready to get his hands on Elden Ring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our next comment comes to us from At Bullet Dance. Saturn Deluxe, because it's top-down area twin stick where you pew-pew enemies and dodge everything until you die. Yeah, and this is another one I had not heard of. Um... But I looked it up and I watched the the video on Steam, and <clears throat> this game is totally Robotron 2084 with 
uh, some additional mechanics and weapons, and it looks bonkers. Uh, but it does look pretty cool and, you know, like it could be a lot of fun. There's another one to add, but we're getting all sorts of good recommendations. Yeah. Uh, Corkman from the forum, or at FireSharkMD on Twitter, says Kelnov slash Atomic Runner. Sure, it has gravity and there's lots of platforming, but it's auto-scrolling and you're shooting all the time. Similar challenge to many shmups as well. All right, our next one comes to us from Ant Studio Mudprints, Star Fox for the Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo version specifically as a strictly Z shooter with no all-range limited power-ups, limited bomber stock, light enemy waves, and plenty of popcorn. And it's similar link to a lot of X or Y scrollers in any given route. Yeah, I could definitely see that done. And I, again, Star Fox is a fan favorite of this episode. I, I really think that they could pull this off. I, there's no more like Nintendo Indies anymore, right? But it could still just be on, great on the eShop. Sort of the way, same way along the ways they promoted um, Pac-Man 99 and Tetris 99. I think if you go along those sort of promoter routes, this would be a great way to get people interested in Star Fox again. Yeah. Well, and there is a there is an indie shmup uh, or an indie Star Fox-like that is being developed. Um, it's called X Zodiac, and I'm in that Discord. I backed it on Kickstarter. It's looking really good. I haven't messed with the latest demo, but uh, it very much has that Star Fox Super Nintendo look but kind of mildly modernized so that it's got a more consistent frame rate, uh, you know, a little bit less jagged edges on the polygons and, and that sort of thing, but still very much in the same vein. I was thinking that would be a great tagline to put on the back of a box, right? Marketing blurb, mildly modernized. <laughs> right. Our last entry comes from at Steel Ball Runner, who says Mercenary Force by Meldak. More of a horizontal King's Knight, but hitting the B button is like changing your option formation in Gradius. And I let Steel Ball Runner know that we actually covered Mercenary Force in episode 36, um, which they said that uh, they'll have to check out. And so anyway, uh, Personally, I consider Mercenary Force a shmup, but I think I can understand why some may not, just because of how unconventional it is in that sense. But that's what makes it so unique. I, you know, I, I do like STGs and, and the conventional as much as anybody else, but when you get something that's just so out there, I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where somebody where they announce Freedom Finger, let's say where your finger that goes pew pew and nobody bats an eye. So to get something pretty unconventional it takes a lot of talent and creativity, and Mercenary Force definitely has that. That's why I think more people should give it a try. It may not be for everybody, but it's different enough from any of the norms that are out there. Right. So what about you? What uh, what do you think of uh, something that is shmup adjacent that you think you could make a case for as calling it a shmup? I thought about some of the stuff that's in here, and and then a, and a, a wonderfully awful idea popped in my head. Is it? As we're going in the Christmas spirit, I would say that I would take Hades, portions of Hades, and make it into one. 
And I know what you're thinking when this is, we'd already did that with Project Starship X, but I think it will work really well. The uh, Greco-Romantic theme has not been done too much. There was Phalanx, um, oh, Phileos, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, Phileos. Phileos was done on there. There's not that many out there. I mean, you could say that portions of um, Nightmare are sort of along that theme. But it really hasn't been done, the Greco-Roman. I would like to see Hades turn there, especially with its random elements. Those seem to bring a lot more to the table like it did in Project Starship X. I thought it might be a little bit out there, but then I remembered, uh, what's that game? How to Pick Up Waifus? No, is it Ron to Pick Up Waifus and then Dungeons? Oh, uh, there's a, yeah, is it wrong to shoot them up girls in, the dun- in a dungeon? Yep, and I thought if they could do it, so could... I mean, this isn't that much of a stretch if they could turn an RPG into a STG, so what the heck? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had similar thoughts in the sense of, yeah, Star Fox is kind of low-hanging fruit, uh, Sin and Punishment's kind of low-hanging fruit, you know, those kinds of things, but uh, for me, I'm thinking more along the lines of pushing back against the auto-scrolling as being a definitive thing with shmups because I tend to see stuff like Fantasy Zone and Defender as shmups and those kinds of things. So for me, I'm thinking more along the lines of something like like Pocky and Rocky or the Kiki Kai Kai series. Uh, I think some would consider shmups, others would consider them shmup adjacent. Well, yeah, that's sort of like a, going along the same path as the Car Warriors, right? Or if we were dealing with, um, everyone remembers that Ghostbusters title that only came to the arcades by Data East. Mm. There, where you, you just have, have that, uh, or Time Zone, right? Do people consider Time Zone? Is it Time Zone or is it Time Soldiers, I'm thinking? Time Soldiers, yeah. Or is it Out Zone? Maybe it's Out Oh, Out Zone, <laughs> yeah, yeah by Total Plan. Yeah, we're all working off of one and a half cups of coffee here, folks. <laughs> so, yeah, OutZone, I mean, that's not really auto-scrolling, so a lot of the S&K stuff isn't, and you could call it shmup adjacent or shmups on there. It really is just up to the personal taste. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at you look at stuff like Ikari Warriors 1 and 2, TNK3 by SNK, you know, those kinds of games. Yeah, I, you probably consider them shmup adjacent. Um, just Heavy like barrel. Commando. Heavy Barrel, Commando, yep. Yeah. I mean, Commando is the closest to the game that we're going to cover in just a sec here. Yeah. And, and and realistically, you know, another another game or another example I thought of is uh, Subterranea on the Genesis. You know, it's kind of taking mm-hmm. the Lunar Lander formula, but f- far expanding it and adding a lot of shooting elements... And of course, you are landing and picking up fuel tanks or, or hostages and that kind of a thing. But there's a lot of there's a lot of shooting, with yeah some resource management. But shmups in general are they involve resource management. So this is and one of those things where I think I think if you if you can look outside the box of the auto scrolling. Um, uh, genre convention a little bit there are plenty of games that i think fans of the genre can and should check out and enjoy and uh so i i think a good case could be made for some of those things 
Yeah, and also, if you're going to be going with auto-scroll as a requirement for consideration on what makes a shmup, you're going to be ignoring a lot of the proto-shmups that are still considered pretty viable by people such as Space Invaders is not auto-scrolling. Oh, absolutely. Galaga is sort of auto-scrolling. I mean, it's a single screen or galaxian. All those single screen arcade games, you're going to be thrown by the wayside, which doesn't seem right. So if we're talking anywhere from mid-80s on, I could say auto-scrolling will probably be pretty good attribute to throw at it. But anything as a, as a whole for the genre, I don't think it's it's a worthwhile descriptor. Yeah. So anyway, send your hate mail to uh, we don't care at ourpodcastrules.com. <laughs> Let's register that before somebody else does. Right. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, it's all it's all just you know opinion, but it's uh, it's, it's all opinion, and, and you know the the internet is the place to vet your opinion. So I'm sure we'll hear some, and that's fine. This is just our opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to a new segment that we kind of teased in the podcast last time, and that is Focus Shot. So what we're going to be doing... This is where we focus on Game Boy Guru and all of his streams on there. So which (laughs) which stream do you want to focus on first here? Uh, Not quite. Oh. No, what, what we decided to do is the past couple of years we've tried to do a scoring competition and that has been less than successful for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm terrible at keeping up a leaderboard and number two, we we feature that game in January and then podcast about it in February and then the player base kind of drops off after that and people don't keep up with it. So I thought what we would do instead is, yeah, scoring is a thing, and I think people, you know, may still want to share their scores, but realistically, I think it's more about, let's just explore some of these games that have more to offer and are more robust and just have more content for players to explore so that we can then get into more in-depth discussion on them. So yeah, anyway, I mean, sort of like like heartburn, right? We want to keep coming back. Like what? Like heartburn, right? And it's going to keep coming back. Well, but I think of this as like pleasant heartburn. <laughs> oh, pleasant heartburn. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's sort of sort of like seeing um, burden. Oh, what a lovely burden! No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You can cut that part later. No, that's fine. <laughs> but. Ideally, what we want to do is is continue the discussion of this focus game for the entire year, and then hopefully at the end of the year, not only are you getting discussion of all 12 games that we play during the course of the year, but then you're getting discussion of this 13th game, and then by the end of the year, we'll be knowledgeable about it enough that we can come back and do a bonus episode talking strictly about that game kind of in totality across our experience for the year which I think will be much more uh, fulfilling discussions than you know some of these discussions that we've had where it's you and I t- 
talking about our experiences with the game for the past month, and then having other people on the episode to help flesh out the discussion because we just haven't played it enough to really know all the ins and outs. Whereas I think now, by the time we get to the end of 2022 and are ready to talk about Mushihime-sama, uh, spoiler alert, that's our focus for the game or for the year, but you know, when, when we're ready to actually do a full episode on that, I, you and I are going to be much more knowledgeable about the game by then because we will have spent enough time with it to uh, really dig in a lot better than I think we've we've done in the past. Yeah, I mean, it, it, basically, that we're going to go from 100 level courses, which we've been dealing with on a month to month basis, to a 200 level of course, which will go throughout the year, and that will be the focus of our focus shot. Yeah. So I, I don't have a lot to, to add right now because we're, we're recording this in the middle of January. And because of I've been so busy with work, I haven't even had time to fire this up uh, so far in the year. But I did buy the Switch version when it came out and I put some time into it. And so I'll just figured I'd offer a few thoughts on that just to kind of kick things off. Um, first of all, I know Mark... Uh, MSX has already done some analysis on the Switch version and was relatively pleased with the input lag on the on that port. Um, I've mentioned before I'm not that sensitive to input lag, but I do notice it if it's if it's egregious. You know, I noticed that Lords of Thunder on the Turbo Graphics Mini was a little bit laggy, uh, but a lot of times I don't notice this stuff, and so for me. Mushi on Switch feels very responsive. And, you know, when I'm playing wired with my arcade stick, it, it, it's pretty snappy. And so far, I'm enjoying that. Um, I managed to clear the novice uh, original after, I think, my third try, uh, which was great. And... So my, my focus has been shifted then over to original mode, um, you know, which is essentially the arcade version that was initially released. And at this point, I can, I can somewhat consistently reach stage three on a single credit, but I haven't, I haven't quite reached the point where I can route all the way through stage three on a single credit. And, uh, and make it to the boss fight because stage three is this giant set piece with this huge sort of insect that takes up multiple screens. And the idea is you're sort of picking it apart and destroying its exoskeleton piece by piece. And on a good run, I can get to kind of the end of that section and then I just get overwhelmed uh, on a, on a less than good run. <laughs> Um, a lot of times I will, uh, I will get taken down by one of many bullet spreads or, or, uh, you know, sniper enemies in the moments leading up to that point. But so far I'm, I'm really enjoying the game and, uh, I'm really liking the fact that the Switch version not only plays well, but also includes all the content uh, one thing with the Steam and 360 versions is that I want to say 
either 1.5 or a range, one of those two, is DLC. Whereas in the Switch version, for the $20 price tag or whatever it is now, you get everything. Um, so when you're when you're looking to, if you want to join us to play through this throughout the year and so forth, just keep that in mind that if you buy the PC version, uh, there will be DLC if you want to get all the modes. Or if you if you buy the 360 version, which I think is only available in the Japanese, you know, Microsoft Store or what have you. So if you if you find a way to do that through VPN or you know getting a Japanese console and getting that online or what have you, uh, I think it's an additional purchase for one of the other modes if memory serves. Any initial thoughts on Mushihime Sama? I thought it was a great price at $20, but unfortunately I have not had a chance to start it up. I played it a little bit beforehand, and I definitely like the game, and I like the gameplay loop. I just, you know, I've been uh, too busy dealing with the Taskmaster. Sure. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing I would add is I, I'm pleasantly surprised how much I'm enjoying it, because I, I previously had kind of been under the impression that Mushihime-sama was sort of a, a solid game, but maybe serves more as a prototype for the sequel, Futari. And Futari is the one that I bought first, because I got the 360 version of that here, uh, what's it been, like three and a half years ago now? And, I, you know, I quite liked that after I bought it, but... I'm pleasantly surprised with how much I'm enjoying the original. And I think as the year goes forward and I hopefully get a clear on uh, 1.0 and can move on to a range or 1.5 or maybe go back to Novice Maniac or something like that, that I can I can really start to get a, an appreciation for kind of the full breadth of the original Mushi experience. Yeah, it provides good backstory on what's there. I mean, Proto, I think we call it maybe a little bit too much. If Atari weren't considered such a masterpiece, but it, it, in order to have you know a sequel, you got to have the original on there. And with games, a lot a lot of the concepts on there get fully realized or flushed out in the sequel. Right. It doesn't mean that the original is any worse. It just the w the way it goes with development because then they finally get to realize their ideas and determine what worked and what doesn't. Yep. All right. Well, that has been focus shot for this episode. All right. So uh, also one of the things that, that uh, we're going to add is just kind of going over a little bit of shmup news. And, of course, with the holidays and uh, a lot of early announcements and so forth throughout the year, uh, or in the first part of the year, there's a there's a fair bit to cover here, but I thought it would just hit a few high points. Uh, there's a couple of new vertical or vertizontal shoot-'em-ups that are coming to early access on Steam, uh, both of which will drop on January 20th in early access. One of those is Grand Cross Renovation. Uh, the dev is known as Eternal Sphere 4, and this is being published by Henteko Dojin, who has done work with Astroport and 
Uh, they published Steel Vampire, which we covered before. Uh, this is an interesting one because unlike a traditional shoot 'em up where you have sort of a forward shot that you use, I think this is going to end up being twin stick, but you have this sort of laser that you can swing around kind of like a giant lightsaber and use that to do damage, deflect bullets and things like that. Uh, so definitely some, uh, some kind of quasi melee element to that. But I've been following the development of this on Twitter for the last couple of years or so, and it's it's looking very good. You know, some of the early concept uh, art and gifts that I saw looked interesting, but really in the last year, it's come along quite a bit, and, and it looks really cool. I will say, just as a word of warning, the the dev on Twitter, uh, Rainex, I believe, is... Uh, is part of their Twitter handle. I don't remember the exact Twitter handle, but the Twitter account for the dev does post a decent amount of not safe for work stuff. So just be aware of that. But if you want to follow the development, uh, you know, go search it out on Twitter because um, it it is kind of cool to see. And, And again, it drops here in just a few days for early access. So people will be able to check it out. The other one that's coming is a game called Shino Ruby, and it's being developed and published by uh, Last Boss 88, which I had not heard of before. And again, this is also dropping on the 20th, uh, January 20th, as we record this. And this looks interesting. It's very bright and sort of neon colors, and has a little bit of a, I don't know, the, the characters, the bosses in the game, they all have these military uniforms and they all look sort of like different takes on the whole M. Bison uh, kind of thing or, you know, more menacing looking versions of characters from uh, something like Pro Gear. And uh, if you watch the trailer, it's got some rockin' tunes uh, as Zozak might say, uh, nice headbanging soundtrack for the long hairs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, it, it looks interesting. I've said before, I'm not, I'm not entirely keen on the Vertizontal format, but it looks like the ship is fast enough that you can cover a lot of ground quickly. So moving back and forth from one side of the screen is a is a is a thing. The bullet patterns do look like uh, they're going to be something you can contend with, and I'm getting a little bit of a Crimson Clover vibe and a little bit of a maybe a a DFK vibe and definitely some other influences in there that I see as well. So it it looks promising, and uh, I, I will. I will definitely have to check it out. There are apparently uh, patches forthcoming from City Connection uh, to reduce the lag on the Cotton Saturn Tribute collection that came out. And so this is the one that includes the Saturn versions of Cotton 2, Cotton Boomerang, and Guardian Force. And for those who may be unaware, when those came out, 
I think they were measured at some ridiculous number, like 11 frames of lag uh, on the PS4 version. And from what I understand, the PC version that recently released is not really any better. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's uh, Saturn emulation is already laggy. And then when you try to add another layer onto that by putting it on a different console, you're just compounding the problem. So I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do to reduce that, but what I understand is they actually brought the developer of the emulator that they're using in to help with this. So we'll see if, they'll, if they're able to make some significant improvement, but... Uh, this is one collection that I I opted not to buy the physical for. I think because I was afraid this was going to happen. And so I'll be curious to see how this how this works out as we go along. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, I think sticking to the actual Saturn versions of those games is probably still the way to play. But it will be interesting to see over time if they're able to make any any good improvements. Uh, there was a there was an event called Kemonomichi 4 uh, held in Japan and this was kind of a competitive gaming event. Um, they had even had sponsorship from Red Bull, I think. And as part of that event, they had a, a head-to-head uh, battle or, you know, run exhibition between a couple of players playing Dodonpachi Daojo. And so Japanese super players SPS and Fufufu did a, you know, this this duel, if you will. And there was an English restream uh, that included commentary from Softdrink, who some of you may know from STG Weekly, and who has done commentary on runs uh, from other events as well. And uh, in that event, SPS won with a score of uh, a little over 1.51 billion points. Uh, but it was close. I, I want to say Fufufu was 1.46 or 4.3. So it wasn't... Uh, they were they were really close going into the, the final fight with uh, Hibachi. And then, you know, of course, based on the number of resources you have at the end, when it to- tallies the final score, then that's what definitely put SPS over the top. But that was cool to watch. Uh, speaking of Mushihima-sama, uh, the, there's a new world record for Ultra Mode in Mushihime-sama done by Western player Kiwi, uh, at KiwiSTG on Twitter, uh, who got a score of 828,551,953 points. This was a 1cc run, and it was done on arcade hardware. And I believe with a hand cam, uh, you know, capturing the whole thing. I haven't watched the run yet, but that's pretty impressive. And very cool that a Western player has managed to, to clinch the score. Uh, there's been some additional s- details and stuff coming out about Kiki Kai Kai Kuro Mantle Nonazo. Uh, there's a new trailer, which looks really good. And uh, apparently there's going to be a physical for the PS4 that'll be Jap- Japan only. And then there are the Switch version, there'll be a Japan version and an Asian region version, which is multi-language. 
which we typically see through retailers like Amazon Japan and PlayAsia, etc. And this is set to release April 21st, uh, 2022. No word yet on a Western release, but I would imagine uh, someone will pick this up um, because we got Pocky and Rocky 1 and 2 on the Super Nintendo uh, here in North America, and those games are at least relatively fairly well remembered and and uh, and loved. So I think there's a good chance that we might get that. Yeah, the mystery of the of the uh, of Kuro's uh, no, sorry, the mystery of the Black Mantle. Oh, okay. I think I'm reading that right. Nice. Curl Black Mantle is obviously uh, Mantle. No is apostrophe, and Nazo is mystery. So, yeah, mystery of the Black Mantle, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cool. I dig it. Uh, Gun Nail is now out on PlayStation Four and Switch via Arcade Archives. This is an NMK shoot 'em up. Uh, some people have called it sort of NMK's answer to Batsugan, which I think is probably not too far off the mark, given it's uh, you know, how it plays and you know, it's colorful and fast action nature. Um, one nice thing is uh, Hamster made a quality of life edition where you can go into the menu and turn off the alarm noise that plays when you're down to one shield hit. And the reason for that is because this is apparently a big thing with the scoring in the game, where it's a risk-reward thing, so that if, you're, if your ship has only one shield hit left, the multiplier goes way up. And so that's how people score in the game, by essentially taking hits and then playing that way. But in the original arcade hardware, that warning sound plays the whole time, so you hear it constantly throughout the game. So this is a great way to approach the game and and allow for people to score play, but not have to deal with, you know, that sort of last flashing heart thing that you get in Metroid and Legend of Zelda and these kinds of things where where you get bombarded with the noise reminding you, hey, you're almost out of health. <laughs> Uh, let's see, Radergy Swag has finally hit the North American eShop on the Switch, and I saw a tweet earlier that from Dispatch Games saying that they're going to start sending out codes to those of us who pre-ordered the physical. Still no word on when the physical is going to drop, um, but uh, yeah, I, I did get wait the code. A wait, whoa, whoa, hold on a second here. This is not April's episode of the podcast. Get your uh, Fool's Day stuff out of here. <laughs> well, okay. I will say, Dispatch did come through with the digital code for Game Paradise Cruise and Mix Special a few months ago when they said they were going to do it. I had mine Cruise within... Cruise and Mix Special? Two or three days, I think. What's that? Did I, did I hear you wrong, or did you say Cruise and Mix Special? Yeah, I think that's what it was. The Game Paradise Cruise and Mix Special, I think, is the the full... Oh, mixed Special. Mix. I heard Mix Special as an MC. Oh, Mix Special? 
<laughs> McSpecial. No. I'll try walking next time I go to a McDonald's. I'd like a McSpecial, please. <laughs> probably, probably spin in my burger. Yeah, walk into walk into McDonald's and ask for a, a Game Paradise McSpecial. <laughs> oh, geez. I've, I've heard that the only thing they hate worse than that is a, uh, is a going in and asking for a Whopper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... So, credit where credit is due, Dispatch did come through with the digital codes for pre-order folks for the Game Paradise. So, I'm hoping that means that I'll see my code for for Radergy Swag within the next week or so, and uh, at least have the digital version on my Switch. But, we still don't know when the physicals are coming out. Yeah, so it makes you wonder, right? What, which is longer? How long is it taking them to get us the codes, or the average lifespan of a Kickstarter? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, speaking of Radergy, there are now fan translations available for the Dreamcast versions of Radergy and Chaos Field. So a couple of classic milestone shoot 'em ups that. Uh, you know, that's kind of neat. I mean, obviously, Chaos Field already had an English translation because we got it on the GameCube. And um, I think Radergy, Radergy has had an English translation insofar as uh, we got Radergy on the uh, Ultimate Shooting Collection on the Wii. Although that was Radergy Noah, I think. Um, so I don't know if it was one-to-one with the original release, but, um, anyway. That's a, that's kind of cool that that happened, though. And finally, uh, for those who aren't aware, there is a Kickstarter for the All Your Base Are Belong to Toa Plan documentary. Um, at, at the time of this recording, they're a little under $10,000 away from hitting their initial funding goal. And this is going to include interviews and history and stuff with um, tat- uh, with Toa Plan luminaries like Tatsuya uh, Uemura and Masahiro Yuge, as well as uh, other people who were influenced by Toa Plan, such as Go Sato from uh, the Raiden series, or uh, composer Manabu Namiki. And uh, there's some involvement with Shmup Junkie, and uh, actually a friend of his who's who's uh, directing this thing. And recently, Mark Bussler of Classic Game Room fame has uh, somehow become involved. I know he's been promoting it and kind of trying to get the wheels rolling for that. Uh, And of course, everyone should already know Mark Bussler because of Classic Game Room and because of his love for Truxton. I was going to wonder if it's just going to be him talking about Truxton for the entire documentary. Well, you know, I think you could you could maybe make a make a documentary of uh, about Truxton and have Mark be the guy to um, to do the voiceover of that. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I could see definitely his involvement just because of his longtime uh, affection for Truxton. So yeah, I mean, didn't he at the at the some of the later episodes wasn't he just like taking blunders and stuff and saying, "Does it play Truxton? Nope, not worth it." Oh, something like that. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you've you I mean he has definitely asked that question in a lot of his videos. But anyway, he has. 
I I back the Kickstarter. I, I will say the tier that gets you a physical copy of the of the documentary, the Blu-ray or what have you, is a little pricey, but I think it'll be worth it. Um, and the digital tier is actually very reasonable. Um, so if that's what you're looking for, then you know go check it out. Uh, there, as of as we're recording this, there are 15 days left in the campaign. So by the time this episode drops, it's probably going to be more like 10 or even eight days. Um, so by the time you hear this, the campaign may be just a few short days from ending. I would say please go check it out and you know support this so that we can get stuff like this going because there's a lot of history with Toa Plan, and of course Toa Plan when they split off. That's what gave us Cave and Milestone and, um, you know, two or three other companies that became major uh, names in the, in the shmup scene during the uh, late 90s and uh, early 2000s. So I really think it's important to document the history and while some of these creators and people who worked within the industry are still alive to be able to, you know, get this stuff down and, and, and talk about these things so it can all be documented. Yeah. Is the kicks, the physical version of the documentary, is that more than, let's say a couple days worth of blockbuster late fees? Uh, maybe slightly, but not by a wide margin. Okay, so it's it's a little bit expensive and not too much. Right. I mean, it's definitely more expensive than your average Blu-ray or or movie purchase. But think of it this way. It's a way to help preserve the history. Oh, sure. And of course, if you're buying if you're buying this kind of thing from if you were buying a movie or a or a thing like this from Japan anyway, you're going to pay more to import it regardless. You know, when I, I've purchased concert DVDs and stuff like that from Japan, and they're always, you know, 50 bucks by the time you pay for shipping and, and import fees and all that. So I think it's I get still it. you got to have the baby metal box set, right? Uh, no, I haven't gotten that now, rabbit hole yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Either I'm looking forward to it, I'm looking for the extras, which is just in a half hour uh, documentary on the rise of Timmy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that or is just a whole thing about him talking about jets and guns. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, thank you for the doing the news section and for everyone who's participated in bringing this, making this a better community. I'd like to thank everybody who helped us get through this month and this game, which I'm certain most people are pretty familiar with. So for the month of December, these are the people who played Jackal with us. They are Metal Fro, Addicted, Easy Racer, Gollum, and D. Tunstan. Yeah. So, yeah, Jackal is, as we mentioned, is a game that people are very familiar with. It tells the story of two harrowing Uber drivers who are for, sorry, Uber Eats drivers who are forced to deliver Tex-Mexium across the border. I mean, it's 
<laughs> the stuff that they have to put up with, it's amazing. I, I really floored. I, I, th I think they do a great job, and it's... Geez, those Medusa heads, too. Can you imagine driving through all that just for a taco? <laughs> I hope they get a good tip out of it. You know, maybe we'll get in the pseudo sequel or the spiritual sequel, you know, Uber Uber Drivers Unleashed or Uber Unleashed. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, joking aside, what Jackal is, of course, about to, a group of special forces who need to break in and free prisoners of war which you know seems to go with the theme at the time you had ramble which was becoming very popular the theme of going back and liberating people uh, was that sort of along the same lines of uh, akari warriors as well i'm not quite sure the plot of, of that game but you, you had a lot of that stuff in the 80s about a, a, a small group that would go in and they would decimate the enemy forces and and free the hostages you know win win the unwinnable war it, it really was prevalent in the 80s I mean, you you see a lot of this going through I mean, the shmups are famous for this right we're gonna send a, somehow we have to send a single ship it's, it's like someone go, uh, go okay okay we're gonna we're gonna send this whole entire fleet aren't we you know you you that was the Anakin and Padme team going there I just see a shmup meme there where it's like we're gonna send the entire fleet right it's like, no, 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 no. A single fighter would do. we got to cut back on cost. We're going to send the single fleet, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just sort of along those lines of the uh, bravado of the everyman, the, the group that can do it. And Rambo and, you know, uh, dealing with uh, Commando with Schwarzenegger. It's time. It, it just seems to really fit here. And I don't know how it became such a popular game in there but it unlike silent service it was the one game that everybody had that everybody was willing to play <laughs> right <laughs> all right well do you want to give us a brief introduction on the developers of the game sure uh so of course this was a game by konami and the first release was actually a japanese arcade release known as Tokushu Butai Jackal, which translates as Special Forces Jackal, in 1986. And the initial version had a rotary stick and was multi-directional. Uh, it allowed you to rotate the direction that you shoot your main gun, and then the secondary weapon would always fire the, the direction that your vehicle is facing. Yeah, the, the, for those of you who don't know about the rotary sticks, there, look up games like Heavy Barrel... Uh, Car Warriors was famous for that. It's a special type of stake that really, I, I think that the closest we can come up to it now might be Twin Stick there, but it was sort of like analog, digital analog sticks before they were incorporated into what you'd have today. I, I think you find a pretty good picture of them in Clava. I know that the mention that Car Warriors 1, 2, and 3 had it, Heavy Barrel had it. At one point, Jackal had it. Do you know of any other arcade games that have it? Sure. I mean, SNK had a whole a line of uh, their, what they call loop lever games, which is kind of their their take on the rotary stick. So in addition to the Ikari Warriors games, they also had TNK3, and um, Bermuda Triangle was a shmup that 
had the eight-way joystick for one type of fire. And then, you know, later you had stuff like uh, uh, Capcom put out uh, Forgotten Worlds that used a, a, a turn, you know, rotary-style stick to rotate your uh, direction of fire. Um, there are other examples as well. Data East had additional ones besides Heavy Barrel. They had uh, Gondomania and a couple of other titles. But uh, rotary, rotary Stick or Loop Lever games were not, I don't think, as, as popular or as uh, widely released as a lot of standard games because they required more complex hardware. But uh, I think I think probably the Data East... Um, the Data East rotary sticks are probably the most well-known, at least in the West. I, I don't know about uh, in Japan, but I remember seeing Heavy Barrel in a cabinet with the sort of short, stumpy rotary stick that has this yellow plastic octagonal top on it that you would sort of grip and then twist as you move around. And so you're moving... You're pushing the lever in different directions to move your, your guy around on the screen, but then you're twisting the lever back and forth different directions in order to change which direction he fires. So you can sort of strafe and fire in different directions. You know, kind of a cool concept. Yeah, you know, as much as it, it, the port is maligned, you know, the Micronics port of Ikari Warriors 1, I thought they did a pretty good job of migrating that feel over to the NES. Ways that was done. And Heavy Barrel's not too bad as well. And the one thing I want to bring up, because we're talking about the NES here, the 8-way joystick is the Famicom Disk System version of Jackal. Did you try that out? I did. Did you play Mode B? I did not play Mode B. Okay. <laughs> on the Famicom Disk System only, on Mode B, two-player Mode B, it tries to simulate what you're supposed to do. And those of you who are familiar with uh, the game Smash TV trying to dual joysticks, or those of you crazy enough to maybe try Gyromite <laughs> with, with dual sticks, in Mode B of Jackal, it tries to simulate that eight-way rotary stick. And one player will take control of the Jeep, while the other takes control of the direction of the gun using the second controller. Oh, nice. The only time they tried that which is very experimental for this. I, I was impressed, but it, it, it's you know, pretty hard to come by. You know, find someone who either... You'd either have to do it on Mr. these days or maybe emulation. Just trying to do it on actual hardware is... Uh, w to find a working Famicom disk system is troublesome at best. Yeah, I want to say... I want to say, uh, say that um, BK Roo on Twitch came into one or more of my Jackal streams and mentioned that um, and, you know, messaged me about that later, that uh, that uh, two-player B mode is two players, one Jeep. Yeah. Alright, one well, might be of a... These days as you go in, it'd be like some giant um, giant stick. You know how they, they are, they're always just trying to see what gimmicky things they can do with arcade stuff. We have the giant Space Invaders or something. I had to see like a giant joystick on there that's about six feet tall. All right, you control this. This controls your Jeep. And this other one, someone's got to have it on there. It's like two people to do it in tandem. Mm. Oh my, that would be interesting and probably hilarious. Yeah. 
Uh, now, when we got the uh, when we got the game over here, it got renamed as Top Gunner, um, probably in part because of Top Gun uh, and its popularity, and uh, so you know, never never uh, say that Konami won't uh, find a way to cash in on something. Uh, and then, well, I, I actually I think it was because the name Jackal was already in use by a pachinko machine. <laughs> In the you in North America? No, I'm just joking for no, Konami. Okay. You know how they get their Oh, that's true. Their, their yes. health clubs that they make a lot more money off of. K- Konami is the pachinko king. Um, but then uh, in uh, European and Asian and other regions, the game was just called Jackal. So uh, I think that's kind of what they eventually settled on. The uh, Famicom Disk System version, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, is known as Final Command Akai Yosai, which uh, translates as Final Command Red Fortress. Shout out to uh, Shadow Kisaragi from uh, our RF Generation Discord for helping me with the translations on these things. Uh, some of the names. But uh, that came out in 1988, and it kind of follows the arcade version somewhat, uh, but it totally skips the first area and is a shorter game overall. I saw something that that may have to do with the disk space limitation of the FDS. I don't know that for sure. And I know there are FDS games that are larger, like Metroid, uh, like the original Legend of Zelda. So I don't know how accurate that is. Um, What I do know is that the FDS version doesn't offer any additional sound functionality over and above what we hear in the NES version. Yeah, this seemed like a really, like Konami initially thought this would be a quick port and they would just sort of throw it out there. At least this is what it seems like to me. Uh, they At the time that where they would even put in the rotary joystick on here, this seems very experimental. This is what you probably call a early access game. <laughs> For the, for the Famicom disk system, it wasn't ever meant to be a, more of a marquee title until it was redesigned a little bit for the NES. Yeah, and so that kind of leads us to Jackal for the NES, which also released in 1988, um, I think just a few months later. But it sort of expands on the ideas of the arcade game and the Famicom disk system version because it gives you both horizontal and vertical scrolling, and so you get larger levels and you get more levels because the first stage in the NES version kind of mirrors the arcade version somewhat, you know, just kind of retooled for the for the console. But um, yeah, the, the NES version is definitely the, uh, the one that I think is probably the biggest game uh, in that sense. Yeah, and was it published under Ultra, or am I just not remembering that correctly? Uh, I think you're right. I think it might have been an Ultra title, although it, it was a Silverbox game. Yeah, which proves that they had some faith in it. Trying to, but Ultra labels were usually... I mean, they were originally designed to get around the publishing restrictions put in place by Nintendo. Right. But I, well, a lot of the stuff that came out on Ultra was a little bit more of the B-tier stuff. Where all the A-tier stuff, the recognizable Konami stuff, would come out under the Konami label itself. So I wonder if this is something that they were like, well, this seems to be growing and 
mm. had a little bit more faith in enough that they were redesigned. I also think that the the ending is changes slightly if, between the two, if I remember correctly. But it's been a while. They also changed the color of the Jeep, right? You can't on the due to sprite limitations, you can't have two green Jeeps, so they had to make one of them brown. Right. Yeah. This this actually is a Konami uh, Konami uh, published title. Uh, I'm looking at the cover of the box it is. right now, Excellent. and so um, they they did have faith in it. Yeah. So I don't know if this was if that was because Konami felt like it was more marquee, or if it was a situation of this was maybe just before they started to use the ultra label. I think it's because they decided. Well, they well they said, let's see here. We have Silent Service and we have Jackal. <laughs> well, let's see here. Jackal. Jackal gets the Konami treatment. We'll put uh, Silent Service under the Ultra label. Right. Um, Jackal also got, uh, of course, versions on different microcomputers. Uh, there was an Amstrad CPC version, which, from what I... Uh, I watched a, a sort of history of Jackal video by uh, Patman QC, and the Amstrad version looks like trash. The ZX Spectrum version, or ZX Spectrum version looks less trashy and actually like it could be fun uh, although a little bit still Is it very colorful um, there are two Commodore 64 versions one that was released in the UK initially which looks decent and then another version that came out later in the US which looks like a, a minor improvement upon that with better graphics and uh, you know solid gameplay and then a PC uh, DOS version that also looks like hot garbage oh and it's got that wonderful pc speaker sound i'm sure oh yeah it just looks terrible uh there was apparently also a mobile version of jackal of some kind i don't know if this was a flip phone type of game or what it was but uh i wasn't able to dig up any information on that probably for the best (sighs) And the story from the game is as follows. This is from the Arcade Flyer. The Jackal Unit is an elite group of soldiers, an elite group of four soldiers that have undergone a harsh training regiment to survive in any environment. The team is composed of Colonel Decker, Lieutenant Bob, Sergeant Quint, and Corporal Gray. They have been given a mission to drive two armed jeeps into hostile territory in order to rescue and extract POWs. And I gotta say... Lieutenant Bob is the greatest character name of any game ever. Yeah, he really strikes in there with um, the people from Sunset Riders, right? Where, where there's, there's the oh, I forget what the Billy, and then <laughs> just, it just shows in there like Cormando, right? <laughs> on there, it really, it's like the same people brought you by the same people who named the characters in Sunset Riders. <laughs> we have, we have Lieutenant Bob. From Jackal. Yeah, I mean, you don't get much more creative than Lieutenant Bob. Although we did have Lieutenant Dan later on, so... This is true. (laughs) Well, would you like to school us on some some gameplay? Alright. Okay, so your Jeep has eight-way movement and can face in all eight directions. In the console version and twice that in the arcade... Each jeep has two different forms of attack. Technically three if you run over people. <laughs> True. A standard gun that shoots towards the top of the screen at all time. 
except in the rotor strike arcade version and the Japanese arcade version where the gun shoots in the direction you're facing. Now you have a secondary attack which is grenades and that's your starter. Right? The first upgrade for both our missile both the arcade and the NES version are missiles. The second upgrade in the arcade version extends the range of the missile attack and the third upgrade in the arcade which is also the second upgrade in the NES version adds shrapnel to the explosion basically expands the area of effect the fourth upgrade in the arcade is to make the area of effect or shrapnel four-way like a cross the third what's also known as the third upgrade in the Famicom disk system or NES version in the arcade, the shrapnel is four-way diagonal. On the console, it's four-way vertical and horizontal. And so it's basically the same thing you want to do for all shmups on there. Get your secondary power-up up as much as you can, and then, of course, do your best to get good and not die and keep that. I, I don't feel quite the Gradius effect on, when I died. I, I would say Jekyll's all definitely an easier game but it, it, replaying it I was like man I must have had either a lot more patience or just memorized stuff faster as a kid right so the enemies that are a team of jackals led by the dashing Lieutenant Bobble Face are foot soldiers turrets and other gun emplacements tanks enemy jeeps other armored military vehicles and the occasional bomber jet or helicopter uh, as we mentioned earlier, the enemy soldiers can, as in the thir third form of attack, enemy soldiers can be run over by your jeep. And you can damage buildings with your secondary weapon. And sometimes you can rescue your own soldiers from these buildings. The soldiers act as power-ups and they also uh, get get out of the, the POW camps and into your jeep. I, I sort of found it funny where the arcade version, the jeep can maximum hold eight soldiers. But then console version turns into a clown car. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we were counting on stream one time, and I had, in one stage where I managed to get through unscathed until I got to the uh, the helipad, I had something like 22 soldiers in my Jeep, in addition to the driver and the one manning the turret. <laughs> They're all just hanging off the side there. There's a couple <laughs> guys just running behind it. Right. Oh, man. Well, some of the rescued soldiers will flash, indicating that they can offer an upgrade to your secondary weapon. Yeah, this is true for most... I think there's probably... Is there one at most two of them inside every given area? It, let's say if you get a cluster of POW buildings, you're going to get... At least one power-up, maybe two, right. on some of the larger ones. I don't. I never think I've seen more than two. When your jeep is destroyed, any rescued soldiers will shatter, and you'll always lose one or two in the explosion. In the arcade version, you'll take down one power level, where in the console version, you'll start back at grenades. And this was sort of interesting. I thought there would be a little bit of a difference here between the console versions, but it appears it's just different between the arcade and the console. Sort of that Super Mario Bros. 3 effect where the US version you get hit once and it just brings you down one level but the 
Japanese version brings you all the way back to Small Mario if you get hit. Right. I'm a little surprised to see that they cut back the difficulty here. So, in the arcade version, collecting your own soldiers gives you points, and dropping them off at the helipad also gives you points, increasing the rising total per soldier if they're all dropped in an uninterrupted sequence. In the console versions, you only get points when they're dropped off. Yeah, I wonder what would happen here. Just points when we're dropped off as it's going down. I wonder if we get like a, a jackal cross uh, crazy taxi. <laughs> You're ready to make some crazy score rescuing those soldiers. <laughs> uh, big difference with the NES, or the console versions versus the arcade, is the arcade version is one large continuous map where it doesn't take a break and show you a cutscene in between. And the console versions have predefined bosses and 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 credit stages. I always found it funny. You mentioned that the first one is where, where they're lo all looking at a map and going here. I jokingly refer to that as I'm all trying to figure out where they're going to deliver their Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's it's the only thing that's different because after that all the cutscenes are the same. It just shows them driving a jeep. I think they say yeehaw or something. Isn't it like a J Dukes of Hazard type moment in there for the cutscenes? <laughs> well, it's, it's yeehaw. like... It, it, it's not yeehaw. It's like, yeah! But it's really <laughs> exaggerated. And you get you get that if you manage to get through an entire stage uh, without dying, uh, I believe. And, uh, you know, successfully dropping off soldiers... On, at the helipad and then getting through the boss without dying you get the yeah now I was thinking now you got me thinking maybe a Dukes of Hazard STG but I don't know how it worked because they never really shot anything they just caused chaos yeah alright so the Famicom Disk System version follows the arcade with only vertical scrolling each level but the NES version adds horizontal scrolling making each area larger with more to see and do NES also adds an intro level that is similar to the opening stage of the arcade games, which we talked about earlier, the beach scene. In the arcade versions, grenades must hit the ground to detonate to cause damage. In the console versions, a grenade sprite just needs to overlap an enemy to do so. Yeah, and this was an interesting thing that I noted when I was comparing the two, is because you still get that effect in the NES version where when you throw the grenades... You can throw them over obstacles like trees or walls and buildings and things. So it's interesting that once the sprites connect, you still get that um, that uh, explosion and uh, create you know cause damage and so forth. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know if that's a limitation of the hardware or if it's uh, just something that the programming staff at Konami who made the game couldn't be bothered to make it more realistic like the arcade game or if they felt as though it was, you know, they needed to tone down the difficulty a little bit for the home release so that was a bit of a concession that they made. I don't know. But it's yeah, kind yeah. of an interesting difference. They could have taken a, a clip out of the page of Doc Brown. You know, where we're going, we don't need clipping. <laughs> right. Yeah, I thought that the gameplay, everything I'm doing here was 
nice and easy, and it wasn't... Uh, Jekyll is a very good, easy game to read. It's one of the more Konami titles that doesn't feel overly difficult. I mean, even if you hit a wall, you can beat it by playing it a couple times. I, I think it's the most relatable and the easiest one to get some enjoyment out of, out of all the titles that they release. Gradius, of course, is fun. And I did like the Ninja Turtles game and stuff. But, but this strikes me as the most fair of all the NES games that Konami released. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, certainly, of the early Konami stuff, it uh, feels like the most forgiving game. I think until you get toward the end. But yeah. you know, by the time you get to the last stage, you know, you want the difficulty to ramp up regardless. You know, it's... I, I, to draw another comparison, by the time you get to the end of the game, you, your fingers aren't worked to the bone by constantly pressing A, B, B, A. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you think about the... And that's a reference, of course, to the Micronics port of Akari Warriors, where I swear that game, level one goes on for at least, what, three hours? Four hours? <laughs> <laughs> Before that goes through, Jackal has a really nice flow, and it's in there. I, I was impressed that they went back and added in the beach level, because I think the game would, would have suffered without it. And it really adds a nice flow, even with the stage breaks they had in there. I can't remember, and I, I think they're still in there, but I think Commando had the stage breaks. I don't think those were added in specifically for the NES version and Chop It Up. I, 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 I think, think that, sure. I, I think that just sort of part of the, the way things were done at the time. Uh, yes, uh, yes, it's the limitation of the hardware where they couldn't do one continuous. But I, I think that the gameplay and stuff is better for it. And I, I think it was a good good use to sort of give the player a quick break for that. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Alright, so now we've talked a little bit about the gameplay. Why don't we take us into the graphics here? Yeah, I don't... You know, I didn't have a lot of notes on the graphics other than the arcade version is incredibly bright and colorful. Uh, which was typical of stuff from this era, but, but it's you, not not very. When you say bright and colorful, you probably should distinguish that you don't mean fantasy zone bright and colorful. What you mean is it's not uh, dark and dreary. Or it, it's not the Jeep. It is a bright green. I mean, it's not lime green, but it's still pretty bright yeah. green. The enemies are pretty easily distinguishable. It's not. Something that you would get in, let's say, the uh, odds where everything seemed to be brown color. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you compare it to another Konami arcade game from this time, another vertical screen Konami arcade game from this time, Contra or Grizor, that game by comparison looked a little bit. The colors looked a little bit dingy, I guess is the right way to say it. They weren't as bright. Uh, they muted? didn't pop as much. Um, yeah, muted. That's another good way to put it. Uh, whereas Jackal is very bright and very colorful, and you know the beach scene in the, in the first area looks like a beach scene. It's bright sand. It's uh, you know green trees. It's a green jeep. Uh, 
uh, but they're not drab or dingy or muted versions of those colors. They're bright and not cheery, but just eye-catching, I guess. Uh, so I think in comparison to something like the arcade version of Contra, it is a nice look, which is sort of an interesting uh, turnabout because when you get to the when you get to the console version versions, they're they are somewhat muted by comparison, whereas you know arcade Contra has somewhat of a muted color scheme, and then the NES version is way more bright colors, so it's kind of a weird flip-flop between the two. Uh, but I do think it's, you know, overall nice detail in the scenery, and... Yeah, I noticed that in the arcade version, the Jeep had a little bit more trails coming out of it, right? You could see where... It wasn't exactly making tire tracks and stuff, but you could see more movement in the back of the Jeep. Right. By the way, it was making those lines appear. Yeah. So, uh, what's the way that the... the um, cartoonists use it for when they're drawing they put those those little lines there to denote movement yes and so along those type of effects right and i thought that was neat it's certainly not going to take anything away from the game because uh, hey we all played the nes version and loved it but it's just sort of neat to see the little bit more where you could go by adding it in just a little bit little touches here and there yeah and i kind of liked in the arcade version when you had that area of effect explosion with the shrapnel, it was kind of this sort of interesting multi-stage thing where it, you know, it only happened over the course of about a second and a half or two, um, but it looked like it was hit, explode, spread, and then spread a little bit more. And of course, it all goes very fast, but it, uh, I don't know, I just thought it looked cool. Hey, it works. I mean, the, the arcade version takes the NS version, makes it a little bit brighter, and then adds in a couple details here and there. So it, it's pretty neat, but if you've only played the NES version, you're not missing out on too much. It, it still stands alone pretty well. Yeah. Yep, and now we've hit some of the graphics. Let's talk about sound here. It's got that really catchable and yeah, memorable soundtrack that I could. Li- I- I'd say I could listen to it o- outside of the game. Oh, for sure. And the, the sound effects on here, I-, I think that the first time anyone played the game and they had sort of a breath of the wild moment where they were like, the enemy over there, what if I just hit him? What if I just try and run him over? And you find <laughs> out you actually can. Yeah. You hear that little, that little squish. It almost sounds like you're squishing an ant in some ways, which is very applicable. But it's <laughs> the first time you go through that, it blows your little mind. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, that we've got some of the recognizable Konami sound fa- effects. You know, that that sound when the pachinko balls come down. The ting, 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 ting. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the uh, the high pitch pin noise when you hit some targets like in Contra and you're hitting the the base. Right. And there, yeah. Overall, it's it just really well done. I, I'm glad that the Jeep itself doesn't make noise. I think that would be distracting. Yes. I'm glad they left it out. I'm sure it's a limitation on the NES hardware, but I can't remember. I don't think even it happens the arcade version, does it? You don't hear like an engine noise going throughout. No, I don't think so. And and yeah. I I appreciate that because. The, 
the the sort of engine hum would get old after a little while. This silent running Jeep. The, yeah. the hunt for Red October <laughs> Jeep. <laughs> Engage silent running. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, overall, it's nice that what they added in and what they put in there works really well. But it's also nice on what they did not add. Right. Yeah, I think I think the sound, I think the music is the standout. Otherwise, the sound gets the job done. Gets the job done indeed. All right, so let's move on to scoring. How do you score, in Jackal? Um, yeah, it's pretty basic. Um, the 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 big change to that is when you when you grab your uh, your POWs that you rescue. So as we mentioned before, in the console versions, you don't get points when you pick up the soldiers, only when you drop them off at the helipad. And I don't remember if that's 100 points or 200 points per soldier when you're dropping them off at the helipad. Um, But then you also get an end stage bonus for each soldier soldier you drop off, which is 2,000 points. So if you drop a bunch off at the helipad, then you manage to make it to the end of the stage, you get the additional bonus. Um, In the arcade version, it's a little bit more interesting that, because you get points when you pick up the soldiers, but then when you drop them off at the helipad, if you can sit there and drop them all off in succession, for each additional soldier that you drop off, you get more points. So the first one is 100 points, and then 200 points, then 500 points, then 1,000 points, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, And with the maximum of 8, I think you can get to uh, 10,000, and then 20,000 is the final. Um, If you manage to get to 20,000, you will automatically get bumped up by one power-up level. And I want to say that that... that, uh, carries over in the console versions as well but I think you have to have more than 8 to hit that. Uh, you might have to have, it might have to be all the soldiers in the stage up to that point that you've collected and then dropped off. Um, but the interesting thing in the arcade version is of course because that's a scoring technique, they're sending out these bombers to try and disrupt you. And so I kind of came up with a strategy of because you can because you can position your jeep so that it's not just 45 degree angles, you can sort of do it in between. And so I would pull my jeep up alongside and then position it so I was slightly facing left on the helipad. And so then as I was dropping soldiers off, I could just sit there and hammer on the fire button uh, so that when a bomber would come through I would just take it out instead of it taking me out and then all my soldiers would drop off and then I would hit that about 20,000 point uh, threshold and get powered up. So it's kind of an interesting uh, addition to the arcade version since the arcade version doesn't have extra stages or uh, I should say stage end like the console versions do, where then you get the tally for the soldiers. It's it's a, an interesting way to sort of give you more incentive to try and drop off your soldiers in succession like that so that you score better. 
Yeah, that, that was, was just a pretty nice strategy. Yeah, that was really the only scoring thing that I found in the game when I was playing. Yeah, too bad it doesn't give you... I was thinking back to Crazy Taxi or something, but it doesn't... You get spiritual sequel or Konami updates this. They give you uh, po extra points or extra scores by doing tricks and stuff. You're doing donuts around the enemies. It gives you some extra points. Huh. Right. All right. Let's move on to impressions of the game and thoughts from the RF Generation community by Jack Handy. <laughs> Alright, our first impression comes to us from Gollum. This has got the one credit clear in co-op, two credit clear, with my buddy. Alright, this is a great game. It's a great game to play two-player or couch co-op. Yes. Indeed, so congrats to you, sir. The final level took the most route learning. We managed memorized every single appearance of the brown helicopter. I didn't realize this until now, but the brown helicopter debuts in level 6. Its most nasty appearance is right before a boss over a treadmill. If one player lags behind, the helicopter can basically point blank them just by virtue of where it spawns on the screen. For the final boss, we exploited a safe spot on the far right of the area that is just above the pothole. The boss bullets can reach the far right, but they can't reach that far down the screen. And the fire cannon can reach the bottom of the screen, so it cannot reach the rightmost set of tiles, so we can just hide above the rightmost pothole and pop up to <laughs> upward to attack. Good thinking on making use of potholes. Usually they're a detriment, but this time it worked out. We use grenades, not bullets. The slow trajectory of the grenades lets fire and retreat. Because the grenades were slow, they would occupy space near the boss long after the jackal drove away. Audio played a crucial role since the bassy effect confirms grenades hit in a way that the visuals leave vague. And yet, that, that's another thing I was wondering, is if there's some YouTuber or Twitch streamer out there who's so today, everybody, we're going to be playing Jackal, we're doing a grenade-only run. Well, funny you should mention that, because Gollum actually uh, did a, uh, a Jackal run, and um, so the, the run that he's talking about with him and his buddy... They recorded, and so it's on his YouTube channel, Super Golemio. Uh, check it out, and it's uh, it's a pretty good run. It's fun to watch. They they managed to get through the game and then uh, get a decent chunk through the second loop, even. Uh, but it was fun, kind of hearing their commentary during the run and talking about the game and and uh, where they felt you know it was difficult and different strats and things like that and so that's a fun run to watch but he Gollum also mentioned that he did a grenade only run and I want to say he has got that on his channel as well uh, so yeah be sure to go check that out sounds like fun we also had uh, a, a note from Easy Racer uh, who said it may be weird to say but I feel like the more I play this the worse I'm getting Early on, I was purely in reaction mode. Now that I'm starting to get the mechanics, I keep trying to play more aggressive, which isn't working out too well. Yeah, I kind of felt that way too, to an extent. Um, certainly, more the more you learn the game, and the more you get aggressive with it, it, it doesn't really reward you that well. The game 
at least the console version rewards you for uh, being thoughtful and careful because all of the all of the enemy placement and events are scripted and so it's all prescribed whereas in the arcade version you can't stay in one place too long because then you'll start to get mobbed by enemy soldiers or tanks or jeeps so it really wants you to keep moving but in the NES version really the only times that you get that is when you are if you're excuse me if you're fully powered up uh, it does rank up the game does rank up and so when you get to a boss fight sometimes you'll have to deal with extra tanks coming in from the bottom of the screen trying to take you out but other than that you know you really aren't punished for waiting around and being careful and thoughtful with how you play because there's no timer so um yeah playing more aggressively is is not something i would recommend because the game kind of rewards you for uh taking your time and being thoughtful particularly because there are moments in the game because of the limitations of the nes and famicom disk system hardware where you can either despawn certain things or allow things to come on screen at a much slower pace <clears throat> for example there are a couple of spots where there are missile launchers and if you can manage to get to where only the missile launcher bay shows on screen when it opens up and spits out the missiles if you can do that right the missiles will fire but they'll despawn right away so then they won't come after you and if you're able to to use that to your advantage, then you can use that to take out those missile bays before they're shooting out missiles at you. Now, of course, like a lot of these games, you can milk the missiles uh, and do that endlessly, but you don't get that many points for them, so it's it's pretty ridiculous to try and do that. It makes more sense from a survival standpoint to just take out the, the missile bay right away. You know, it's got that classic uh, video game trope. If it's not on the screen, it never existed. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, and you even see that with things like like the, the gates or the doors that you have to blow up from one place to another, or um, you know, in stage two with the, the sort of stone heads uh, coming out of the water. Uh, you can you can throw grenades or shoot your missiles at them and you'll hear the explosion but the sprite won't change until the full sprite is on the screen so the gate won't show destruction until you get you drive up a little further and then oh well now the gate now the gate's destroyed or the head still shows up until you drive up a little bit and then oh now the head looks like it's blown up <laughs> so kind of a fun little quirk of the hardware and uh, relic of that era. Uh, I'm, I really miss, I miss some of that stuff, but that's all right. Yeah, I kind of do too. Uh, we did not have any high score submissions, but given that uh, he and a buddy completed the game and got into the second loop, uh, I'm going to say Gollum wins by default. <laughs> Insert your best Gollum wins. Yes. 
Well, congratulations to to Gollum and to Easy Racer and to everybody who played with it. Played this game with us on December 2021. Jeez, it feels like <laughs> time flies here. Yeah. I almost said 2023. Oh, wow. So, now that we've gotten through the thoughts of everybody else, let's get to our thoughts. What are your thoughts on this game, Guru? Well, I've mentioned before that Jackal is kind of one of my go-to NES games. And it's it's one that I've never beat, and I still haven't beat it, even after December. Um, mostly because the... I think the final stage ramps up in difficulty enough that you really have to be you really have to be specific about it. I think if I was doing co-op like Gollum did, I would stand a pretty good chance of of finally beating the game. But in terms of a single player run, it gets quite difficult, especially because there are there's no helipad or POWs to rescue in the final stage. So there's no option for getting power-ups. If you get to the final stage and you die, you go back to grenades and <laughs> you know, you're you're stuck with grenades at that point. So that that definitely ups the difficulty. But this is still a game that I'm going to keep coming back to because it's just a fun game with Interesting mechanics, good music, a fun gameplay loop, and just uh, just something that I enjoy playing. Uh, so I'm glad that we that we finally covered the game. Uh, yeah, shmup adjacent, etc. But I think I think there's enough shared DNA between Jackal and shmups in general that I think most shmup fans would enjoy this game and especially those looking for a real challenge or a little bit more of an interesting scoring thing from an early arcade game you know the the arcade version certainly could be uh, an interesting score challenge kind of game but either way I just really like this game and it's one that I'm going to keep coming back to yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, like most, Jackal was a game that, that you got because of the uh, Tom Bois artwork. I mean, it made it seem really important. It was It's certainly like no one ever went to the arcades and says, Oh, Top Gunner, that game looks great. That game is Jackal. I'm going to get that for my NES. I don't think it ever worked out that way. And I don't think Nintendo Power heavily promoted it either. So I think it's just one of those things that spread by word of mouth in the cover art, and people were familiar with the name Konami. I think Contra had been out by then, and I, I, I know Gradius was out. So it was from a publisher with a pedigree, and people were definitely enjoying it. I received this for Christmas, I think, in the year, or maybe a birthday, and I played the heck out of it. I found the game to be quite easy, but... That was when I was a kid going back to it. Man, that last stage, I must have learned how to cheese everybody and memorized everything. Oh, yeah. Yes, you know, a lot more time when you're eight years old, so. Anyway, I w- it, still sta- it still stands up to this day, and you could easily pop it in and just start having fun with, with you know, with uh, Lieutenant Bob and, and Co. So it, it's, 
definitely worthwhile and it doesn't feel like a watered down port which is pretty impressive I, I think in some ways it might be a case a contra case right where the home console port is actually better than the arcade version that, that's what I was kind of thinking about during and and sort of pontificating on during the streams is that the NES version might just be the definitive version of the game because the arcade version was very straightforward. Then you had the Famicom Disk System version, which adds a little bit by giving you end stage bosses and things like that. But it still kind of follows the arcade version, still vertical scrolling only, whereas the NES version adds that intro level back from the arcade and gives you the, the horizontal space so that the levels are bigger and there's more to do. You know, a couple people argued that uh, maybe, you know, maybe there was no need to add that and and you kind of trim the fat with the other versions, but I still think maybe the NES version could be considered the definitive version of this game and kind of takes the same route that both Konami and Capcom did a lot in the 80s and early 90s when they converted arcade games to the console where they where they took it in a different direction and did something better on the console. You know, I, I, I don't think most people would argue me saying that Contra on NES is better than Contra Arcade or that Bionic Commando on NES is better than Bionic or Commando Arcade. Well, I think, you know, I, I have to stop you here because I am hearing Studio Mudprint shouting from the rafters, what about UN Squadron? <laughs> well, that's another example that I think, you know, most people would probably agree that the that the console version is superior to the arcade. And so I, I think Jackal is a good case for that where where it probably falls into that same into that same pattern where the console version is probably an improvement over the original in a lot of ways. Yeah, because of the whole I think it really comes down to the denomination of this was an arcade game first, but then the, the home game, by being an arcade game, it was all about making money, where the console port was allowing to expand upon it and make it into something different. And in this case, they expand upon it and made it for the better. It, it, more than the, the sum of its parts, because they're not requiring it to constantly get quarters from people i that i see that a lot with console supports and, and you know they definitely put their a game on uh, there with the people who did these translations because the in, the interns must have gotten the zx spectrum port <laughs> right. so yeah and again it's also from coming from konami it's their arcade game so they have the access to the people it wouldn't surprise me if a couple of the people were at least as like let's say executive producers who worked on the arcade game who who did this 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 isn't ocean you know <laughs> doing a port port for this over to your 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 speckies your amigas and your uh, uh c64s over there this this is the people who actually made the game right so all in all, if you can find a copy, and you should be able to find a copy of Jackal on the cheap, definitely grab it. If you want to try out the 
Famicom Disk System, try and emulate it or try and find a, a play it on your mister because it's not worth spending all that money for that equipment, especially how fragile the FDS is. To mm. try something for a little bit and go, oh, okay, that was neat for the for the eight way direction shooting. Right, and uh, it should be noted that the arcade versions are also available on Mister. That's how I played them, and um, you know it's a it's a good way to kind of experience that and see that in action if you if you never got to get in front of a Top Gunner or Jackal arcade game. It's very few people have. I, mean, I don't think anyone I know, I've, or at least anyone I've talked to, remembers going, yeah, Top Gunner. I played that in the arcade all the time. Huh. I mean, do you know anybody who's who plays that or remember that very well? Almost everyone I talk to knows the console port, but the arcade version sort of lost the time. It's sort of like trying to find Green Beret, right? Everyone's heard of Russian Attack. Right. But you mentioned Green Beret, and we go, huh? Yeah, I don't ever remember seeing Top Gunner in the arcade. Or, um, it's not, it wasn't Gradius that was called here. It was called, what was the first Gradius called here? Uh, oh, Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, the, that, I don't think I saw very much of Nemesis in the arcades. You know, I, I'm trying to th- I saw plenty of Double Dragons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Simpsons, all that stuff, but a lot of these stuff, like Top Gunner, and I'm trying to think, what was the one that we played last year with the uh, boat that that just kept up in it, like a, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon special, where they just keep up in the arms? Um, is it Taito Z System? What was that one that we played, where it was the second Gulf War? Um, oh, Grid Seeker. Grid Seeker, right? It's a... Uh, uh, trying to find Grid Seeker in the arcade, you, uh, you're sort of going, hmm, pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, you get to see a lot more uh, ride-ins or, heck, you'd probably even have a bit easier time finding Mushi in the arcade <laughs> than maybe someone who's played Top Gunner in the arcade. Right. So, so definitely try it on the Mister and give it a shot, but the console port is where it's at. So, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up for 2022. So, as we know that we're 2022, we have our focus, or focus shot, which is Mushi. And I promise you that I will get past the title screen at least by the next time we record. <laughs> and speaking of recording, our next recording will be all about Airzonk. And you never know if there will be a surprise special guest, so stay tuned. February 2022 will all be about Image Fight, which is thankfully now available on the Switch and PS4 via Arcade Archive, so no one has to spend $200 plus for the Saturn version. Huh, right. And it's also available on the NES, which I gotta try, I'm sure that will be watered down but interesting, and the PC Engine. Right. I'm, I'm trying to think, is Image Fight a PC CD or is it just straight PC? I think it was just a Hue card. Just a Hue card, okay. Uh, and and, and in March, well, you'll find out what we got in March, but I'm really excited for this summer. We're going to bring the heat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Or maybe maybe we'll bring the lightning and thunder. I think we will definitely be bringing the lightning and thunder this summer. 
with that, I'd like to thank everybody for listening and thank you everybody who participated in the year of 2021. We hope you'll participate in 2022. We would also like to thank Ed of Studio Muppets and our Bullet Heaven for the logo. The logo looks really awesome on that orange shirt, by the way. Oh, yes. And we we uh, shoot the Corecast shirts. We also like to thank Kogosu for the intro and outro music. Everybody from RF Generation Playcast and the RF Generation Collector Cast who, uh, let's see here, they may be too busy to uh, respond with the next question of the month because they'll be playing all playing Elden Ring. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I'd like to thank Metal Fro for always entertaining us with his streams with where anything can happen. And I'd like to thank uh, DJ Psycho M1 of the Pandemicade, especially Chunk, Chunk Master Chunk, or sorry, heh. Master Chunk, there for keeping things always entertaining, especially when he does a hot tub stream. <laughs> right. <laughs> and again, I'd like to thank everybody who participated and who took the time to listen. Thank you. All right. Anything else we need to touch on before we wrap up? If you haven't already, make sure to check out the switch version of Mushi as a girl mentioned earlier because it has all of the DLC included and it's an excellent port so I know that people are always constantly moving but if you need five minutes and uh, or if you have five minutes to play an SDG definitely make it Mushi and definitely play it on the switch indeed alright Well, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next month. Thank you.